Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Kevin Kelly. He uh, uh, refers to himself as the Senior Maverick at Wired Magazine, which uh, he founded in or co-founded in 1993 and served on as its executive editor uh, until 1999. He is also the author of New Rules for the New Economy and a book we're going to talk about today called What Technology Wants. I could also go on with all kinds of little interesting side projects like the Cool Tools uh, website and project, uh, but but uh, let's focus on uh, the book and see where we go from there. So thanks, Kevin, for joining me. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So you are... Um, Let's see how I say this gently, um, <laughs> without saying old. You know, uh, you you are one of the. I've been online for pretty actively since about 1999. You know, which kind of makes me almost like a second generation person, I suppose. Um, and you were certainly well before that. So uh, yeah, so, I've been online since 1981. Right. Yeah. So so yeah. first generation, I guess, if we will, of of the folks. And you know, a lot of those folks didn't stay relevant, didn't sort of uh, remain in the forefront of things, which I think you're one of those few that really has. Um, is that, would that be an accurate statement? Well, yeah. I mean, I think um, my job is to not be expert in anything, but to kind of be a dilettante and everything. That's kind of what journalists do. Yeah. And so um, I'm spread very, very thin. And I have the appearance of kind of, you know, being at the front, but... Um, it's a very thin presence. So uh, um, uh, my job is to sort of kind of um, see what's new and keep current. Although with this book, What Technology Want, I decided to kind of go the other direction, Yeah. which was go down to the bottom of things rather than staying on top of things just as a break. And that was really great. Yeah, and, and uh, some, I mean, I think for me at least, sort of changed my very narrow definition of what technology actually is, um, <clears throat> which we'll, we'll get into a little bit. But uh, I want to, before we dive too far, I, I, and at the risk of uh, giving up my, uh, you know, journalistic integrity, um, I'm going to admit to being a huge fan of new rules. Um, I told you I, I pretty much got online very active in 1999. That's about when that book came out. And uh, it really, books that influenced me greatly are ones where I read it and I go, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was trying to, you know, wrap my head around and you articulated it. And and I think that that book for me uh, did a tremendous uh, amount in that regard. And I, and I think the other thing that it really did is, you know, for a lot of people, it sort of gave them permission to, to do some of the things like, give stuff away and and uh, some of the things that are now pretty pretty common you know online practices so I, I wonder if you could talk about I don't think you necessarily wrote that book as a you know prediction of the future but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about because there are 10 specific things in that book uh, about you know sort of how some of those really came became mainstream well what's interesting yeah there are 10 rules I call them um, or they're, maybe they're kind of suggestions or guidelines um, for operating in the new economy. And what's interesting is that when the book came out, it was at the height of the dot-com craziness, the insanity. I mean, it really was kind of a, a, a mass hysteria at that moment. And while the book did well, it kind of got lost once the bubble burst because people thought that I was talking about dot-com companies and 
I didn't use that word in the entire book. I didn't talk about internet companies at all. I was talking about something, I think, much broader, which is maybe why you found it interesting, which was the, 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 the different way in which an information-based economy behaves as distinct from you know, a mass um, uh, a mass economy, a, a economy based around materials. And so um, in I kind of made ten suggestions about the ways in which um, an information information based economy would work, like the fact that you want to feed your web, feed the network as much as you're trying to feed your own startup or your own company. You want to follow the free, see where it goes, understand that the free is going to be present even if your thing is not free. Um, you know, honoring the fact that um, there is a increasing returns effect, a kind of a winner-take-all effect. This is bad news, except that we have more ways to become winners. And so the idea was those general principles have nothing to do with an Internet startup itself. They just have to do with the fact that we have a new kind of an economy. Yeah, yeah, I think, in, in fact, they were called rules, but in some ways they were, to me, um, I sense them more as behaviors. Yes. Um, and I think that, that you would probably take that book now and pass it around to folks and some of the general tenants, and, and people would pretty much, you know, it's pretty much accepted practice now <laughs> that, that those have, have come to reality. And I think that uh, I was going through it in preparation for this interview, looking at the things I had highlighted, and I just found myself just saying, wow, that, that stuff is maybe even more relevant than it was 10 years ago. And in fact, I reissued that as a both PDF and as a blog with, with that exact idea in mind on the 10-year anniversary saying that um, I actually think it is more, they are more relevant now in a certain sense because um, people can kind of understand them a little bit better now than before. Before they seemed kind of a, the ravings of a wild-eyed Californian who's going to believe everything was getting better, but uh, actually uh, now people say, oh yeah, I understand that, that I, I need to know that now, and, and I'm hoping that... Um, it might still have another life in it. Yeah. Well, there's one other, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on, on that book, but there's one other idea in that that, that I have. That it's become a cornerstone for me, and that's this idea that it's the, I'm going to get the term wrong that you use, but it's like the ancillary business is the real business. And, yeah. and I think that so many people online have found that to be true. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, do take a look at it. I have a blog. It's a book. Uh, it's actually out of print, and this is sort of um, an amazing thing. But there are, um, if you go to my website, um, there are PDFs for free, following kind of the, the my own my own advice. <laughs> there, there are free versions of the book available on my website. Well, let's um, let's talk a little bit of just because the title of your new book, uh, "What Technology Wants." Um, what do you make of sort of what's going on? Right now, online, I kind of feel like you, you said the last book was sort of the, at this dot-com craze. I feel like we're in another sort of exhausting high-tech craze um, going on a little bit with, I mean, all of the social media that, that certainly, uh, you know, came to the forefront. What do you make of, of, you know, that kind of where we are right now in that regard? This actually feels to me a lot like a 1990s, the early 1990s when, when Wired was being launched, about 92 or so, when... Um, well, it, when Wired was launched, there was no web. The web happened so very early in Wired's rise. Um, so this, this feels to me almost like the beginning of the web again. 
in the sense that there is um, um, there's a shift. There's a, there's a real shift going on, and there is the same excitement and well, some in some cases dread of this shift. And that shift is, I think, away from the web as we know it to something else. And that shift may also be part of the general shift away from the desktop, even the laptop computer as being the central focus to handhelds and mobile. I think the shift is away from static web pages to these flows and streams. There's a shift away from um, kind of things being done daily or hourly to real time. And there's a shift against you know what I call from the me to the we, you know, from the personal thing to this very, very strong force of the social. And so I, I, I think people tend to think that, well, this is just going to be kind of web tool, but I'm, I, I'm thinking that it's going to be something entirely different. And there is, um, I mean, I, I think people are kind of sensing that there are things going to be different. No one knows where it's going, but I think that's going to be very exciting because it's like 92 when the first browser is coming up, and, and what came after that was really beyond belief. Yeah, but I'm also sensing that people are getting exhausted by it, too. And and, and I'll tell you what I am seeing a little creeping in is sort of this craving for some uh, human touch um, as well. And and this kind of blending of high-tech and high-touch, you know, that Nesbitt wrote about you know, sure. in the first megatrends, it, it almost sure. feels more important now than, it, than, than, it, than that did 15 years ago. Yeah, you're, 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 I think you're right. I think I would add that as another dimension to this thing, this kind of, um, not revenge, but a return to um, the high touch. And, and we see that, I think, in the social. The thing about the social, of course, is that it's, um, it's this idea that rather than have an algorithmic recommendation, that you in some way tap your friends, your human friends, to make a recommendation. Or, or, or you, know, you can replace the recommendation with X, whatever it is that you want done. That there's algorithmic ways of doing it, which is just you know, computers, and or you can use computer-assisted humans, your friends, your circle of friends, whoever it is, whatever group of people. Uh, people that you um, think think like you, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, yeah. whatever circle, your classmates, your your company, and have um, them together with you accomplish that, and and so there is there is that um, that kind of emerging power, which we have not explored yet. So um, there must be limits to what we can do in that social way, but the exciting thing is that we don't know what they are yet, and that's kind of what we're exploring right now in the next 10 years or so. There is a question that you um, pose actually very – very late in the book uh, that that when I came across it, it sort of – sort of brought me back to you know what the whole book was about and that's that technology wants us <laughs> but what right. does it want us for and and I think that that you know that might actually be somewhat orwellian disturbing <laughs> to some people yeah 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 and and I mean this is I, I do I do has this in the, the very last chapter of the book and a lot has gone before that but the main the main um, component that is, is necessary to answer that question is to understand that um, 
this thing that we have made, what I call the technium, which is kind of like the ecology of all the things that we have devised and how they're codependent on each other, and it forms kind of like a like a super organism of stuff that we've made with its own behavior. That includes us. We are part of it. It's kind of symbiotic with us. We are wholly, wholly dependent on technology, even of the most simple kind, like knives and stuff, too, to to survive as as a species. So we we the days when we were independent of technology are long gone. I mean, like, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. And so um, we, um, you know, it, it's very hard to say what, what, what it wants and what we want because it, we are really one system at this point. And I think um, that tension is only going to increase. The tension between the fact that we have made technology and technology makes us, we, we can't unravel that. And, and, and in a thousand years from now when people are, Talking about technology, they're going to have the same kind of tension that people feel now, which is, you know, am I serving it or it's serving me? And the answer is yes, it's both. And um, you know, th- th- that's the way it's going to go. We're, we're going to we're going to become one system. And I think you have to kind of get used to the fact that there are two sides to this. Um, and I don't see it going away. I don't see us ever entering to the Amish land where. Um, most of the people are trying to remain separate. I don't. I don't see a return to that. That's not the course of technology. It's going to become more complicated. Well, I, I think you could even, you know, maybe maybe something that's more relevant to to listeners right at this moment. I think you could look at Facebook and say, Facebook's not a service that was created for us to use. I mean, we are the reason that Facebook exists. I mean, Facebook would not exist without us using yeah. it and sharing what we share, and and that we're. We're, we're basically the product or the service. Right. So one of the themes of, uh, of my book, What Technology Wants, is the idea that what technology gives us is choices. We have the choice of not using Facebook and turning it off, although it can be difficult. But we, we have the choice of joining if we want and using it, and that those choices continue to increase, and it gets greater and greater. And, you know... The problem is, is that many people find it difficult to sort of unplug from Facebook. Say, I was hearing a story, which I thought incredibly amusing, of um, a teenage girl who um, uh, gave her password to her friend and asked her friend to change her password, basically to lock her out of her own Facebook account, and so she could not use it. Uh, it was sort of like um, Ulysses sort of. <laughs> having um, people tie into the mass and saying, no matter what I tell you, don't give me my password back. You know, yeah, there, there's <laughs> actually, I think there's actually an application that you can turn on and it won't let you log in for 24 hours and, and I think for some amount of time. And I think the idea behind that is is if you're getting ready to go out for the evening and you don't want to post your, you know, your, your drunken lured pictures, it won't let you. <laughs> This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. But here's what's interesting to me is is that I, I think that's all fair. But I, I think we will invent technologies to help us control other technologies. 
So, so in my book, literally in my book, um, the, the solution to the fact that most problems are technogenic, meaning that most problems are created by other technologies, the solutions are always not less technologies, but more and better and improved technologies. And so, of course, it creates a cycle because those new solutions will themselves generate new problems. But always, the answer is to come up with new devices, new methods, new technologies, tools to actually help us deal with the overwhelming sense of the previous technologies. Well, and I think it probably is fair to say that, you know, a lot of people think in technology, they're thinking of a computer in a steel case or something, but uh, uh, would it be fair to say that a methodology, a system, uh, a process, I mean, those could all be uh, uh, termed as technologies, right? Absolutely. Uh, we, we think of technologies as this, these, well, actually, we think of technologies as anything that was invented after we were born, or maybe anything that doesn't work yet, all this new stuff. But um, it's more than just the things that are new and more than just the things that are in our pockets. It's, it's, it's old stuff. It's, it's concrete. Um, you know, it's roads and conduits, but it's also intangibles. It's things like uh, the calendar or the alphabet or um, software, which is very intangible, or business processes, which are all patentable, just like... Um, uh, any other kind of tool. So the intangibles these days actually um, are more important, and that's actually part of the new economy, which is that um, more and more of the wealth of our economy is based on these intangibles, and they are certainly absolutely um, technologies. Well, and I think you, um, it would almost be fair to say that uh, you could categorize this book as a, uh, a history book <laughs> as well. Um, you know, just as you said, I mean, maybe somebody somebody like me might think in terms of, you know, Tom Watson and IBM is sort of the beginning of technology, but uh, um, you go back to uh, a prehistoric uh, um, time to start investigating technology. Yeah, in fact, I even go even back further than that. I mean, the, the, the larger claim of the book is that the roots of technology actually go back to the Big Bang, to the beginning of the universe. And I think the reason why that's important to kind of tease out is what, one thing I want to make clear to, to, to the many people, I'm sure among your listeners, who are involved in making new technologies and are spending their lives either surrounded by them or trying to make more of it, is that sometimes we get a little dismayed because we think we're just making more stuff and maybe some of the stuff doesn't last long or it's thrown away and it seems to be feeding into kind of a some kind of consumerist machine of some sort or you know some grand conspiracy to to rob the earth but i, I and and that can be a little overwhelming thinking that um we're kind of just making all this stuff for no reason but in fact when we make new technologies when we're involved in inventing something new we are actually not only increasing the choices and possibilities for others, but we're partaking, we're aligning ourselves with this very long story, this very long narrative that goes back to the Big Bang of increasing order and increasing possibilities, which runs through the universe and the increasing structures of galaxies and stars and planets and life itself and then mind and now the technium and will go beyond us. And so, and so we're actually being involved in something bigger than ourselves. And I think that, that we should remember that as we make new things. This is going to end in string theory, isn't it? It always does.
Yeah, or the fact that we need to have better education. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is a, um, um, you know, and I, I don't often get to speak with folks about quantum physics on my show, so this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there is, um, there was a, a joke, I'm sure you've heard it too, running around, you know, when people come up with these great ideas in, in Silicon Valley in their garage, there's, you know, there's probably four people the next block over that had the exact same idea. Yep. Um, and and you you use a story of of Darwin um, and this idea of convergence in technical invention is not just being a, a quaint story that happens coincidentally a couple of times, but that is actually inevitable. Well, the the larger form, the larger outlines of every major technologies is inevitable, but the specifics, the actual expression of that. Technology is not at all inevitable, and actually there's a lot of choice involved, and actually they make a huge difference to us. So in a certain sense, the, the web as this uh, network of electronic connections between everything that we make and ourselves was inevitable, but the, the, variety, the kind of web that we would have, whether it was national or transnational, commercial or nonprofit, open or closed, you know, running on this protocol or that protocol, none of that was inevitable. And those all make a huge difference to us. And the, 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 the outlines of natural selection was inevitable because both Wallace, Alfred uh, Wallace and Charles Darwin both discovered it at the same time. But the actual um, expression of the theory as developed by Darwin was different and differently stated than than Wallace and um, uh, the light bulb was invented 23 different times independently simultaneously. Edison was sort of the last guy, but he was the one to actually get the exact specifics correct for the market. In terms of, it was not inevitable whether it was tungsten or carbon, whether it was an inert gas or a vacuum inside, whether it was 12 volts or 60 volts. But all those choices made a difference about whether or not you could actually make it work and bring it to the market. And so um, I think that is something that, that people should realize is that the idea itself is sort of going to occur to a lot of people, but the implementation and execution, those are specific and unpredictable, and they make a huge difference. Well, and I think that the, you know, the, the web and, and companies you know, are littered with uh, stuff that people created because they could, but that either the market wasn't ready for it, there wasn't a sort of understood mainstream use for it. I mean, there, there, I think that that whole idea of, of timing and, and being, being the, maybe not even being the first person to come up with something, but as you said, uh, come up with it in a way that was commercially viable or that, that made people's lives better and was yeah. simple enough for them to understand is so important. Sure. I mean, being first, I want things is way overrated. I mean, there's, there's tons and tons of examples of all these very successful companies, including Amazon, Google, who are not by far the first. Google is not the first, and Amazon is not the first online bookstore, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and, and I think that, y y yes, it's, 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 it's really crucial to understand that um, uh, an idea ahead of its time is almost as bad as an idea behind its time. What you need, ideas are kind of like networks. They're kind of like um, ecologies. They require hundreds often, at least dozens to hundreds of other related and supporting technologies and ideas to be present. And when all of them are there, and there's just that next uh, a logical one, it seems inevitable. But if you have it way ahead of time, you don't have all that supporting um, those, those you know, relationships of all these other technologies that are needed. 
and so it, it can't really happen. And so what you're really trying to do generally is you're trying to look for the, 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 the minimum, the one single step, the smallest possible step of that one missing piece, and you're putting it out, and that's, that's when it works best. If you have to invent the entire ecosystem, it's just way too hard for um, one group of people to do. Yeah, I always tell people convincing people that they ought to want something is a really tough road to, to go. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. right. You um, start off the book with, um, uh, and I find it interesting, I'm sitting here with, let me count them, four computers, <laughs> uh, my iPad, an iPhone, a couple extra hard drives. Um, you know, I'm surrounded by all this technology, all this stuff. And you uh, uh, you start out the book with a really pretty incredible story about your time uh, in it spent in India with um, a sleeping bag and something else. Uh, what was maybe a camera. knife? Camera. Oh, a camera. <laughs> um, right. and, and yet here we are talking about all of this technology, but uh, is it uh, – uh, is it safe to say that that we can lead a uh, a productive, uh, satisfying existence uh, without all this technology? Absolutely, and and this is and this is a, an important point. So we have the choice to actually live as simply without technology as we want, and it will be a very rewarding life. I spent a lot of time in my life in these places, and the people had a contentment and and a kind of a happiness. That was really remarkable, and I spent a, a great admiration for the Amish, which I devoted a whole chapter of my book to, um, learning about them and their um, their lives. And I have to say that uh, um, you know the, the the poise and the maturity of their kids are just remarkable. They don't go to school beyond eighth grade; they work with their parents. And so, having kids grow up working with your parents is amazingly powerful. They have incredibly strong communities. Fantastic support um, psychologically, socially, and so one would would ask, well, why aren't I an Amish? Well, why not join up? And the reason is because that kind of certainty about who they are and that kind of contentment, and uh, they have an incredible amount of leisure because they don't have labor-saving devices. They actually have much more leisure than we do. We do things by hand. But the problem is, not the problem, but the, the trade-off is that they have gained that trade-off by basically reducing their choices, by eliminating options. So if you're a female Amish, you have one destiny, which is to be a mommy at home. If you are a guy, you have basically two destinies. You're either a farmer or a mechanic in the shop in the back. And there are no mathematicians, there's no doctors, there's no ballerinas, there's no musicians, they don't, they don't believe in music. And so um, that, that kind of very, they've optimized comfort in a certain sense, comfort and certainty and security. And they have optimized that by basically um, reducing choice in every other dimension. And most people would rather have choice. So, including me. That's why we live in cities, and that's why we come to these kind of places. We, we want increasing choices. And so if you are willing to surrender your choice, yes, you can have that kind of, of contentment. You know, it's interesting, though. I, I, I'm going to go down a you know, path that I didn't intend for this. But, you know, I, I, what I see with a lot of folks with this stuff is that uh, they're not willing as you said, you know, to to maybe make that choice, but I also f there, there's a there's a real fear of of control or lack of 
uh, control, and I think that there's this, there's this sense for right or wrong that sometimes technology gives us um, some more control. I think you could argue the opposite, but but I think that that's where you some mean, of the right tension. Other people, you mean other people controlling us, you mean? You, you, or that we, we have some sort of control over our lives and what's happening to us on a day-to-day basis because yeah. we have this technology, and, and I think uh, you could argue maybe the, the opposite is true. Um, when you see people, you know, uh, that, that sort of have, it has this grip on them. <laughs> right. So. I mean, I mean, that, yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, having control over time turns out to be one of the major, um, you know, factors of content, of contentment. Um, you know, they've done many, many studies and, and, and it's a really good indicator of how much you like your work or your job is really how much of your time are you controlling yourself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, um, you know, that would be, that would be my hope is that over, over the course of history, that more and more people can use technology to give their lives more control over, over their own time and deciding what they do. And that's obviously the ultimate goal is to have every person in the world be able to be unleashed through technology to pursue you know those gifts that they have a unique blend of and actually being able to express that and I think and I make this argument in my book I, I think that's what technology wants is to um, you know provide the, those new technologies that we don't have yet that that might be missing for you or you or you and um, to invent them bring them to the world so that every person whether they're, you know, a Mozart or Beethoven or Van Gogh or Hitchcock or, or you or me, we each, each have a chance, some chance to pursue that mix of talents that we have and use these new technologies to really express it. And so we have, and I'm, I think we have an obligation to increase the amount of technology in the world for that reason. Wow, I think that is a beautiful place for us to end today. <laughs> Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time. You can find uh, pretty much everything at kk.org, which uh, another uh, indicator of how long you've been online uh, <laughs> with uh, the the two-digit uh, uh, URL there. But uh, the, the the books, the uh, cool tools is there, the the Technium, which um, is that is that in full swing still, or is that? No, actually, it's, it's in the Technium was the blog that I used to write uh, what technology wants sort of out loud and in public. And I haven't done very much with it. I've been on book tour traveling sure. for the past four months. But I will resume it at some point, and it will turn more into um, news of the Technium. And um, in either case, um, book tours and et cetera, my calendar is all there, and uh, I welcome people to come in and discuss the book. Thanks so much. Hopefully we can visit again. I really enjoyed this. Me too. Thanks for your great questions.